0: Welcome to Not Your Mother's Voice Teacher. We're three friends and voice teachers who want to shine a light on the importance of contemporary singing. We're tired of commercial music taking a backseat to classical music in academia.
1: We're here to discuss what no one else wants to talk about when it comes to voice education in America.
0: Some will call us
2: crazy, but our mission is to pull back the curtain on contemporary singing and showcase its approachability, sustainability, and viability. We're so happy
3: you're here. Let's get started. Hey everybody, this is Kate coming at you from Podcast Editing World. Um, This next episode is a little funky with the sound. We had some uh, big technical difficulties, a couple microphones didn't record, um, and the audio just is a little messy today. So we did our best to make sure it's listenable for everybody. And most importantly, Jude's audio is very, very clear. Um, And this is an awesome episode, so uh, enjoy, and I can't wait to hear what you think of everything we talked about.
0: Bye! Hey everybody, welcome back to Not Your Mother's Voice Teacher Podcast. Um, I'm Kate, this is Tess and Savvy, and today we have Jude Torres um, on the podcast with us. Jude is a Filipino-American artist from Los Angeles, California, who currently resides in Boston, Massachusetts. Jude lives at the intersection of art and science as a stage and voiceover artist, singer-songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist, while completing his clinical fellowship in speech-language pathology at Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital in Boston, right?
4: Uh, Cambridge, but honestly, same difference.
0: (laughs) Specializing in cognition, long-term COVID, and voice disorders. Yay! Welcome, Jude! We're so happy you're here! Thank you
4: all so much for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you all and to see you again, Kate.
0: Yeah, this is so exciting. Did you did you hear Savvy's uh, Beatles hey, call that? Jude,
4: <laughs> I personally love it. Anytime someone sings that to me, I'll never get sick of that. So thank you for that.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, Kate, I'm so glad that you introduced us to Jude. How about you guys just really quickly tell us how you know each other, how you met, just like get the connection out there.
0: That's a quality question that I was actually mm. thinking about earlier. Yeah, I yeah. was like, how do I know... Jude, how did I meet Jude? Also, I'm noticing that my microphone is coming through the sound. Uh, I think it's okay actually, because we're we're dynamicing here. Oh, Wait, sorry, we'll keep going. Against the dynamic. Jude, yeah. when did I meet you? Like I don't even I, remember. I think I, I was thinking about that too.
4: I think yeah. I think the most concise way of putting it is that uh so Kate and I both went to college in boston um in very close proximity to each other because boston's just a very small city and academic hub and we met through mutual friends i believe that one of my classmates at the school i was going to was roommates with um your partner and we just kind of met through mutual means because we were all within that musical performing arts sphere and i think that's the cleanest way of saying it
0: yeah like um it was like the berkeley crew and the emmanuel crew would sometimes mingle and it was like um and i remember i met your girlfriend first in acapellas, and she was at berkeley with me so that was kind of yes. cool That was incest fest
1: party no <laughs> no that was harvard oh my god i
0: love no, that, it was harvard. Harvard. that was harvard
4: amazing
0: um they do yeah they do incest fest anyway that's for a different podcast um
4: <laughs> after hours yeah, and
0: then jude like um Jude like played music around and we would host a lot of shows at our uh at our, at our apartment um, in Dorchester and Jude would come and play and sing and we just like, I don't know, we just kind of like became friends and then suddenly I saw an Instagram of Jude like doing different voices and describing the different things he was doing with his like pharynx and his teeth and I was like yo what the heck I'm studying voice pedagogy and you're studying speech language pathology and we're both like ccm singers like this is so cool so then at a new year's party we were like <laughs> and we just kind of like we're chatting yeah, yeah. i don't know and that led to this
4: yeah yeah that's a very concise and very thorough way of saying it because honestly i forgot half that story and i'm like yes that's where <laughs> yeah. our time went as a collective
0: Jude is um is a really good uh, tarot card reader. Is is that the correct term of it? Jude reads. Yeah. No. Yes, you do tarot, right? Yeah. Cool. Jude always cool. Jude is always the dude that gives you like a really good like hype, hype uh like hype up.
4: I like- appreciate that. Well, because yeah. so as Kate was kind of mentioning, like so her apartment and like her collective of roommates were just like the coolest happening people in our friend group, and they would just kind of like bring us all together because they kind of fell into so many different social circles so like things like New Year's or even like just summer parties were just like the place to be because like it's the time that you got to meet everyone who was just a few degrees of separation from you and so you know it was just a great especially again Boston being as small as it is like you just meet people from different acapella groups and be like oh my gosh like I've seen you perform before or like oh my god we're doing the same thing and we've never even known of each other so
0: yeah you know. it's crazy because I knew people at Emanuel right and I didn't know you because I knew them through acapella so right
4: yeah so very serendipitous but you know destined to happen
0: yeah
1: okay well I have a question for Jude that actually relates to like our content of what we yeah have. let's do it amazing let's do it I'm curious Jude from the singer perspective, but also from the SLP perspective, when you think of contemporary commercial music and thinking of singing in this style, what does your SLP brain immediately go to? Are there are there shapes or recommendations you have for people who are like, oh, I'm your patient, but I'm also a singer. Are there things that come up that you're like, you need to be looking into A, B, and Z?
4: Mm, that's a great question. So, um, I think speaking through the lens of a performing artist, but more so, I guess, as a speech pathologist, um, my personal functional definition for CCM would be any musical style that kind of falls outside the scope of uh, classical singing. And by that, I mean like this, you know, uh, the standard of like rigorously academic study of vocal use that like has a few specific parameters. And I'd love to actually hear from the three of you, you know, as you study and are very in depth in vocal pedagogy, like, i would say that classical singing is um that resonant sound that's placed very superiorly in the body anteriorly within head cavities so you know like singing through your nose singing through your mask or whatever you'd like to call it in your you know resonant cavities in your head um, but it's supported by inhalation and diaphragmatic breathing that usually i know that there's a certain standard of like not raising your upper body so like there's this really controlled thoracic musculature and subsequently like a strong breath support that comes from that that generates a very amplified but consistent sound and i guess the roundabout way of answering your question so when we think about contemporary styles that you like learn at a place like berkeley like musical theater jazz rock pop gospel um, what have you uh, more often than not when we compare those styles to classical singing they arise from our Modal or chest register, which I guess is more akin to our natural speaking voices. So, you it...
0: consider, like clavicular breathing, um, and options like oh, yeah, we know those words.
4: Amazing, wow. yeah. See, that's why I'm so excited to talk to you all because, like,
0: <laughs> you you... the word anterior resonance, and I
1: went,
4: I I yep, yeah, because because well, you know it. it it stems from our, or CCM kind of stems from more natural speaking voices, which gives that really distinctive and personal level of of expression and perception that's really desirable by modern singers. But, you know, just for the people listening at home, I think, like, the important distinction between, like, vocal pedagogy and SLPs is that vocal pedagogy really gets into the nitty-gritty, like, form and function of human, like, upper respiratory and musculature. SLPs, like, we are, like, it's more, you guys are more on the, habilitation side. It's like, here's the proper way of form and function to really express yourself and be safe about it people come to me as an SLP when they've kind of fallen out of practice or they're deconditioned or they've hurt themselves in a way that they need to rehabilitate themselves and i think that's a really important distinction depending if you know people are looking into these respective fields as career paths because it depends on do you want yeah. yeah do you want to be more of an educator or more of a clinical rehabilitation specialist and you know we're as kate and i kind of mentioned before like we're two sides of the same coin but two very distinctive styles and different ways of looking at the voice.
1: Okay, now I have a follow-up question to that. Because we, we've we talked a lot in our, in our study about how voice teachers are not speech pathologists and speech pathologists, a lot of them are not singing teachers. Um, mm-hmm. There is a more specialized version. Like if you look at uh, Marcy Rosenberg um, and Dr. Wendy Laborn, they are singing voice specialists. So they are teachers who are also speech language pathologists. But from the singer perspective, a lot of students and a lot of academia has talked a lot about how singing in this style leads to nodules and no vocal injury, and you're going to hurt yourself. I have notes. I have, <laughs> I have notes. Vocal nunchucks. Well, sorry. Thank you for the Pitch Perfect reference. I had to hello people. Oh, no, sorry. Um, But so as an SLP, how often do you feel like you are really dealing with singers who have these kinds of issues? Is it super common or is it you're more dealing with nodules from speaking voice abuse? How common are singers in your room?
4: That's a great question. So currently, um, so the um, clinical fellowship I'm doing at Spalding is mostly in neurorehabilitation, So we're mostly dealing with stroke survivors and people with aphasia or people who experience um, traumatic brain injuries through motor vehicle accidents, um, through falls, um, what have you. And usually that kind of corresponds with, you know, just geriatric um, aging and development. So if people have like dementia or other uh, neuro things in terms of voice, I would say the majority of my vocal experience and my caseload came from my time at the mgh voice center i did a clinical rotation there last summer and um, i've been there
0: i i went there
4: amazing yeah yeah it is you know at least in boston
0: no like way way back when i was like maybe 13 or 14 yes no i just thought i was just i was just singing too loud that was all that was happening
4: Great. I'm so happy you mentioned that, Kate, because uh, to your question, like uh, the so, the MBH Voice Center for people that um, might be interested in it is widely known. It's like the Boston Mecca for voice rehabilitation that's uh, provided vocal intervention and rehab to Adele, Julie Andrews, Steven Tyler, a lot of professional voice user, big who's who. But my caseload, um, the two most prominent populations were underclassmen CCM singers as well as independent singer-songwriters and almost exclusively did not present with nodes or nodules, actually. It was mostly with MTD or muscle tension dysphonia. And for the most part, the underclassmen were musical theater majors from either Berkeley or Boston Conservatory who were doing summer stock theater shows around the US. And they were misusing their voice because of the lack of education that they had at that point in their careers. And they were, you know, there were environmental concerns, like they'd be at a set build and they'd be screaming to people across the room while there's like a lot of construction happening. Or they were um, the vocal overload from the turnaround between the rehearsal process, the performing thing or like amplification. I was going to say like eight
0: shows a week is a lot for a voice who has been
4: doing that exactly. So, you know, there was a lot of just overuse or misuse, um, and then at the same time, on the other side of that coin the indie singer songwriters were a lot of untrained singers who had their intentions and expression in the right place but they were aspiring or forcing themselves to sing in certain styles or registers without proper hygiene or maintenance so they were really like pushing themselves or squeezing out certain notes in just improper ways and it was just resulting or you know even the overcaffeinated, overmedicated over medicated people like just thinking about everything that come, comes with vocal hygiene like there was just a lot of education that kind of needed to come in like you know laryngeal massages or other kind of manual therapy techniques um that we kind of involved in their um plan of care but yeah not a lot of notes, surprisingly but a lot of muscle tension dysphonia
1: i should clarify i looked really excited when he said muscle tension dysphonia i'm not excited about people having MTD. i just was like I am very familiar with this disorder. I struggled with it myself in mm-hmm. my undergrad. And I had I went to a singing voice specialist and I was like, help, I can't sing anymore. And this is a real problem because I was a classical singer. And I was like, I need to be able to sing. And so I was like, holy, look at someone who knows what MTD is and what a big problem it is. I appreciated it.
0: I'm curious if you had a lot of people with like LPR um, come through. Because I feel like I hear a lot of LPR in a lot of singers um and obviously like i am not a speech language pathologist but when people explain what they're feeling and how it's making them feel and uh then i send them to get scoped that's usually what it is um Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if you have anything about that
4: uh so my supervisors or the slps on staff at the voice center um dealt a lot more with lpr than our student clinician body did um but we did have a lot of vocal fold paralysis. So just, you know, especially like post-surgery or post-trauma from like, again, accidents or anything like that, just having like unilateral vocal fold paralysis. So like you're, you know, just not having a complete voice or just having, presenting with like really strong breathiness or really strong other characteristics that aren't as desirable to their overall function or like activities of daily use so yeah not a lot of lpr and i really wish i had more lpr on my caseload because it is fascinating and especially for the singers really prevalent but unfortunately i didn't get a lot of experience with it
0: i was just going to clarify lpr for people that don't know is laryngeal pharyngeal pharyngeal Pharynge- pharyngeal pharyngeal reflux so it's yes. it's silent acid reflux that can hit your vocal folds it comes up from your esophagus and can hit your vocal folds and make them very uncomfy um
1: which yeah. actually I think a lot more people have it than realize they have it that yes. yeah like I know now Teth has it I know a lot of singers who deal with it I don't personally struggle with it but I don't eat a lot of happy doesn't have as regardless of what she I needs. had
0: it's crazy to me leave me alone okay (laughs) but like um but it was a big I remember it was kind of like a nerve-wracking thing for you uh because you didn't know what it was and you know suddenly your voice just stops working well for you and then
1: but it's just so it's so common that people don't think about it because they're not inherently using their voice as their career so like a lot of teachers have it and they realize they have it they actually get diagnosed with it because their voice is what they use every day for their job. But if you're sitting there at a desk job and you're like a CPA, mm-hmm. you might have it. You just don't know because your okay. voice not to matter. matter?
4: Yeah. So. And that's such an important, I'm so happy that we're, we're talking about this because again, that concept of vocal hygiene, like talking about diet, exercise, sleep, um, your levels of hydration or any levels of dehydration, whether it's like allergies or allergy meds that you're taking, like all this really contributes to our overall, like, the holistic approach of like just kind of looking at your life and one of the craziest things that like the lpr actually came in a lot as like a secondary symptom that we weren't even like essentially looking for or diagnosing but it's like oh i realized that like you know i'm taking a lot of allergy meds because pollen is terrible and also i'm just chugging it down with like caffeine, and I'm not drinking enough water, and then I just start regurgitating in the middle of the night. And it's like, oh, that might ex- well, be that a level be- of your care. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, LPR, I guess, like, to rescind my statement actually does come up a little bit, but it was never, like, the primary concern or diagnosis that we were treating, but it's very much more prevalent than much people, more people give it um, credit for.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, cool. I'm gonna ask you another question. Um, what styles of music did you sing most when you were younger versus like the styles of music now that like brought you to this land that you were in with your singer-songwriter, like rock, fuzzkill, and uh, broad like singing Broadway, just audition for a Broadway show? Like, yeah. Yeah. Sure.
4: Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So um that's very introspective. And I guess I was, so I was raised Catholic, um, because my, my, I'm Filipino in culture and upbringing. So like, I was exposed to a lot of choral and church music growing up. Um, and also a lot of rock music from the sixties and seventies. Cause my, my dad himself, um, when he was moonlighting as a doctor, but also like as a singer songwriter and like keyboardist. So like, um, Jesus Christ superstar, which w- really blew up in the Philippines, I guess, um, was just a very big focal point into like, that was my gateway drug, I guess, into musical theater. Um, but then academically growing up, I was exposed to more choral, ac- acapella, and musical theater styles that really, I mean, especially when we're thinking like education-wise and for you educators, like, um, you know, just thinking about diaphragmatic breathing and blending especially. So like that, um, those concepts really instilled a lot in me. But now I fluctuate, like now that I'm out of school and kind of working as an independent mm-hmm. artist, um, I'm, I've kind of fallen into not so savory vocal habits in terms of being like an alternative indie singer songwriter style because. Um, I try to write in a lot of styles or genres, or at least for other people, and having to reach those notes, sometimes I'm not always doing that in the most evidence-based way. But as Kate kind of mentioned, I used to be, or was recently in a pop-punk rock band called Fuzzkill, um, and it was rooted in musical theater elements because we all met during a local production of Green Day's American Idiot. So, and my bandmates were people who studied at Emerson and Berklee College of Music, so we really borrowed from a plethora of backgrounds and CCM styles, um, and it really just turned into a really interesting amalgamation of um blend and just music in general
0: that's so cool i like it it's just really cool to see like someone doing all of these different things like and being able to juggle all of them how would you say that tends to be tends to go
4: well you know the the funny thing like when we met in college kate like i was double majoring in biology and performing arts with concentrations in like healthcare and musical theater. And for the longest time after I graduated, people were like, why did you get two degrees in like such a right brain, left brain field? And I was like, well, I want to help people like that's where the healthcare is coming from. But I really need music and arts as expression. And that's where I wanted the performing art style. And I was like, how do you merge these two worlds? And it wasn't until many years after graduating that a former professor was like, hey, my son is a person with autism, kind of like your brother and like, I they're now seeing a speech language pathologist and it just so happens that this person also does voice related work. And I was like, Oh my gosh, so here's like a healthcare field that's more voice centered, or like expression based that really helps a wide population of people. And so I did a little digging, I fell in love with it as a concept. And that's how I'm here. That's really cool.
0: Um, like, do you have a question? Yes. Go ahead. I can see it in your body.
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm sorry. I don't remember where it was. You said you, the summer intern or the summer semester. Summer whatever it was that all stock. the famous people get rehabilitated. Oh, um,
4: the MGH Voice Center.
1: Yes, MGH Voice Center. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you can kind of talk, if you're allowed to, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about um, some of the voice disorders you've seen in very, very famous, very famous singers, what they've kind of dealt with. How, as an SPL, you, you've you seen like their case, sorry, SLP, SPL. Whatever. We have
4: way too many acronyms and they all how, you know, jumble into different words. It's all good.
1: You've seen case studies of what the actual treating SLP did for their disorder and kind of talking about how that has changed their voice in your opinion.
4: Mm, that's a great question. So um, just for context, so the MGH Voice okay. Center all exist on one large floor in the middle of... Um, Boston's like medical hubs, and we have a team of ENTs on staff at all times. We have SLPs on staff. We have um, physician's assistants. We have clinical like researchers. So, like, it's there's a lot going on. And while we as students were not necessarily privy to the more famous. voice users that kind of come through the clinic. Um, some of the common presentations that would come up with people, um, usually on the SLP side is like MTD or for the ENTs for people getting scoped, like Kate was mentioning, um, usually for really strong phonotrauma. So um, people who have nodes or nodules or any kind of like mass or lesion on their vocal cords, like they had to come in because they realize that this is more than just like an overuse thing. Like my body is physically and violently reacting to what I'm putting it through and therefore like you know,
0: hemorrhages kind of yes yeah.
4: exactly vasculature like a lot of what we were kind of looking at like especially if we were looking at scopes we're just you know seeing like are all the anatomical landmarks in place is there any atrophy especially if we're dealing with someone who has maybe a neurological disorder or who hasn't used their voice uh, very often um, and planning you know uh, a plan of care is really I think one of the most rewarding parts about being a voice specialist in both of our fields, because you really get to know people and you really get to kind of dig into their life and get to know how are you using your voice? Why are you using your voice? Like our voices are such byproducts of our identity and like our development and just like our natural presentation as people. So- um,
0: We were literally just saying that like in the last podcast, like we were, yeah, our voice, it's such a big part of who you are as a human. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. And absolutely. And I know, um, Kate, when uh, last time we met in person, we were talking about like gender affirming therapy and how that's really becoming a field because, you know, people, you know, transgender voice therapy is like a really prominent and really important part of like identity based care. But then even to broaden that scope, just Gender affirming therapy of like we don't necessarily want to think in that binary of just like I want to sound more masculine or I want to sound more feminine. It's just here are certain qualities that I admire in other people or their voices, and I want to enhance my voice and or see if I'm stimulable for that kind of change. And so just being able to help someone on their journey of discovering more layers of themselves is really rewarding. And I guess I'm kind of off the topic of like how the famous people in the world present, but you know. I think that vocal misuse all just stems from people wanting to be more than they're capable of at the moment. And part, all of our jobs are just helping people safely. Yeah. Safely finding like, how do we get from where we are now to where we want to go? And I think that's why it's so important that we're doing what we're doing.
1: Yeah. And it really, it's, it brings up the idea specifically. I know that Miley Cyrus's diagnosis was Ranky's edema. And Mm, so from mm -hmm. the singer perspective, I'm like, that is one of the worst ones you could deal with. Like that is like a surgical deal with it. Like nodules, you can deal with either surgically or just depending on shut up for a little
0: while, like (laughs)
1: you can deal with certain vocal disorders without surgery, but edema is one that it's, that's a surgical problem. Um, and so as an SLP, SLP, yes. As an SLP, um, what is your first go-to when you when you see a singer who comes in with Ranky's edema? It edema permanent. I can't DMR talk anymore to today. When you see a singer who comes in with rankies and they've just had surgery, how do you start rehabilitating their voice so that they
0: can go back? oh yeah. What's like you your first? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question.
4: That's a great. I guess the so mm-hmm. one of the the hardest things about working at the voice center was recognizing that my patient population suffered every time they use their voice but the only way to really communicate unless we're using nonverbal communication like if we're typing things out doing things through text like it's forcing them to speak and so like um it was really hard for me to get used to like i want to ask you a question i need to know more about you but i also know that i'm in a way making you suffer and or shortening the amount of like silence that you have in your life that is technically you know rehabilitating you very passively um so to your question of like you know how would i kind of approach that it's kind of asking, okay, where are you at right now in your recovery, like, how are you feeling and where are you presenting from your baseline? And then asking, well, what are the short and long-term goals you have? Like, are you like a teacher or like a mom? Like, especially when thinking about like the family dynamics or just the everyday vocal use that we have to go through, like, are there ways for you to talk to your coworkers, to your, or even just do your job without speaking? Is there like, Things that we can't avoid that we're going to have to prepare and pace ourselves for just to make sure that we're not impairing ourselves any further because people, you know, it's such a pr- privilege to be able to put your life on hold and be like, you know, I'm on vocal rest. I'm Nobody's going to talk to me. I talk to my agent. They'll Absolutely, talk about me. Yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, for for a lot of people, they're just like, look, maybe I won't have to talk at my teaching job, but at the same time, I'm the mom of, like, four kids, and there's, like, my husband's always working, and so, like, I have to be the one to talk, so it's, like, rationalizing or trying to figure out what is the safest vocal methods or, like, what ways of communication, I guess this is where the SLP kind of comes in, it's just, like, what are the alternative forms of communication or expression that we can safely use while we you know get your voice back to a place that's functional and sustainable um and that's usually the first um domino to fall and then from there it's trying to figure out what techniques are your voice stimul stimulable for like for do using an extraphonation like bu- cup bubbles you know other SOBTS, you know or like especially with people who have um um Um, Oh, I'm blanking but when we need to use like um, Lee Silverman voice treatment so if we're trying to do like amplification things like can you actually generate enough airflow to really get a certain level of sound and so um, it's a lot of trial and error it's like we have a toolkit that we can kind of cycle through and see like is this something that you can do because especially our older population they're just like I understand that cup bubbles will help me but you're never gonna see me blowing bubbles out in public that is like not cool for someone my age and I'm like I totally get it so what can we do, that can kind of do the same thing, but also be more accessible and sustainable for you. So it's really like, again, coming back to that holistic method of treating your people, your patients as people, and then figuring out where your level of care can interface with their daily dynamics.
0: That's actually something I we were talking about earlier today, um, or not earlier today, like in one of the last podcasts. Uh, we were saying like, sometimes it's like, literally you're like, all right, this is the problem. Let's throw spaghetti at the wall, like multiple different ways and see which one sticks. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, you know, what it is functionally, right. Like evidence-based science based functionally, you know, what's happening, especially you've got the, you've got the, uh, the leg up because you can actually be like i think you need to go get scoped so we can actually figure out what this is and you can you can know exactly how their like phonation is is um for us it's like unless i stick a camera down your throat i don't exactly know but i can take a bunch of educated guesses at this right and that's when when in doubt refer out that's that's the yes, saying. we go absolutely with. yeah yep that's the saying that we always go with Um, But yeah, it's like, we know functionally what we want. Now, how do we get it? And we have like five or six different ways to get to that. Um, That's cool. So would you recommend in the case of like Miley Cyrus or even some other, uh, you know, um, notable uh, singers, would you recommend voice vocal rest as, as like a, as an option, a treatment? I guess it probably depends on the, probably depends on the, 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 person you're caring for depends
4: on the diagnosis yeah. yes absolutely because you know vocal rest like as we kind of mentioned about sleep in general like the lack of use sometimes promotes rehabilitation and growth but at the same time it also promotes deconditioning and so that was like, what there, I
0: was, yeah that's where yeah, i was there's with this. a yeah.
4: very thin line of just like what can we do to kind of keep you know the musculature engaged or at least you know safely like not like atrophying but at the same time, not overusing. And I think that's one of the hardest things. So like with Miley, she's, you know, been a professional voice user her whole life. She's surrounded by like really top level people who can like kind of at least give her an informed way of kind of looking at like, what can you do? Or at least, you know, we kind of know where your baseline is and you're very aware of what you're capable of. So maybe like, hopefully, I don't know, she's doing pretty well for herself. So like hopefully like, you know, that works out. But for the people who kind of come into the voice center, it's really just saying, can you hum? Can you like, you know, just generate some kind of phonation that will like at least keep you in a safe, comfortable range or like, you know, finding your fundamental frequencies and just being like, let's just kind of give you like a certain interval range that you can maybe safely explore without really taxing or overextending your vocal cords. But then also just recognizing that everything's going to be a little stunted. So please don't, you know, push yourself out of your comfort range or try to jump into different registers if you don't really know what you're doing or how you're doing it. Um, And so pairing education with application um is certainly a big can of worms for that kind of work
0: yeah would you say that um what was i gonna say like would you say that your ultimate like goal in your in your job in your career would be like working with specifically singers or have you found like a passion for different sides of speech language pathology like where do you where do you see yourself like (laughs) When do you see yourself in five years <laughs>
4: amazing question <laughs> no
0: i'm just curious i'm
4: curious it's it's legit you know and you know i think i i as i kind of like wrote in my bio and thank you for reading everything i wrote like i really do want to exist kind of like at that intersection of art and science because part of the reason i came into slp is that so many of our friends like especially those who just love singing but aren't necessarily trained or have like that kind of expertise in that they'll hurt themselves and so many people that i've met in the community scene especially like other actors who don't come from you know um, conservatory levels of training will fall into misuse because of lack of amplification lack of resources and you know just that quick as we kind of talked about like that turnover from rehearsal process to like performing and i didn't want myself and other people to suffer because of the academic paywall i know you know like healthcare is such a you know can of worms to kind of talk about but like i wanted to kind of overcome that and make it more equitable by learning these things and then sharing them with others so like ideally if i can keep working with performers and be a performer myself that would be the absolute goal because it's combining the two things i love while also making sure that everyone can do it for as long as they want to it's really about the longevity at this point in our lives of just saying i need this to express myself and to be who I am. And I wanna do it until I die. So if I can help people do that in any way, shape or form, you know, I'll die happy.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. Hell yeah. (laughs) Do you have a question?
2: Uh, Yeah, so when you are meeting new patients, if they sing, like what styles do you typically see? I know you said you're not really working with a lot of singers right now, but, um maybe at the um big singing place that started after. with an m yeah, yeah, yeah. um <laughs> <we're playing laughs>
4: a lot mm-hmm.
0: it had another acronym there's a lot of they're them. from the west coast i mean i guess technically yeah. you are too oh Tess is from l.a as from, well
4: really hey that's awesome whereabouts in l.a if you don't mind me asking
0: san
2: pedro california
4: cool okay awesome
2: it is. it's okay nobody knows no <laughs> way she's like you don't know <laughs> I'm
1: where like, i'm
4: it's, from it's okay <laughs> well the Side note, one of the, the funniest things, especially being like growing up in Boston, like the entire city of Boston, geographically speaking, is like the size of like Brooklyn with a third as many people. And then once you look at even bigger cities out west, it's just like we are such a wee little place. And then like just L.A. County is like its own. Yeah, it's like the state of Rhode Island, essentially. So it's just like, you know, like, you know,
2: people I went to college with would be like, I have never heard of where you are from. And I'm like, that's crazy because it's a 30 minute drive from here. Right. And if that's a no. thirty minutes. Yeah, miles means it's
4: less than ten miles. Wow. Yeah, gonna... exactly. Yeah, that. Where
0: did that... you? Where did you, uh, you were you're from L.A. I was when I saw that I was like, wait, what?
4: Yeah, so I was born. If I'm recalling this right, like in East Hollywood, like so, like in L.A. proper itself.
2: Oh, I was born in West Hollywood.
4: Wow,
2: <laughs> awesome.
4: See, small world, small world. And sometimes things are just destined like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but hold on, I want to make sure I do answer your question. And so it was what styles of, in my patient population, where, was I seeing most at the MGH Voice Center? the um, people singing? Yes, so a lot of musical theater, cause I think this also comes with like a level of privilege and education of, especially when you're coming from an academic setting and then your voice falls into misuse. You have people like your professors who are knowledgeable enough to be like, "Hey, you need to get this looked at." Here's the team that we're gonna, you know, expand out and like refer out to. And I think that you know, there's a certain level of privilege that kind of came from that. But then also, um, a lot of people who just had really good access to healthcare, whose PCPs are also just kind of aware of SLPs in general, because um, there's a lot of um, not necessarily erasure in our field, but we our field is predominantly um, women. And there's been a lot of gender inequities in the healthcare system about like how we do our job and like how we're kind of approached as specialists. Um, So I acknowledge my privilege as, you know, a a straight male in that regard. But um, to again, get back to your question. So a lot of rock styles, like jazz singers usually are like very intuitive and very in tune with their bodies. And I'm kind of speaking um, hyperbolically, but like this is just kind of, the patterns I notice. Um, jazz and folk singers usually understand where their voices are at at any given time, but it's the rock singers, especially when we're trying to get like grittier sounds, we're trying to like play around with like the folds of our voices and trying to figure out where to generate certain, you know, um, resonances. Like the harder and higher you push yourself, the more likely you'll end up in, you know, speech pathology because you're. You want to explore yourself but you also don't really know where your limit is and i think that's one of the biggest things about ccm is just knowing where you're presenting and knowing what it takes to get somewhere else because sometimes you know we really got to warm ourselves up and systematically build ourselves up to certain notes and sometimes we're just like well i can hit it so i'm going to go for it but then once it doesn't mean you should babe yeah tattoo it on my
0: body just because you can make a sound
1: doesn't mean you should Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. So, you know, shout out to all the lower voice people in the world, you know, representation for our altos and mezzos who don't get their solos because, you know, sometimes it's all about just singing comfortably and just finding, you know, we can adjust the music. That's what we do as musicians. We don't always need to be holding ourselves to, you know, tenors and sopranos getting all the, the joy anymore because we have sophisticated arrangers and instrumentalists and sound designers who can help us in that journey. So, you know, the... But it's, again, to answer your question, it's always the styles of people who want to push themselves and or do something that's not um, inherently stimulable in their bodies that I see. They're trying
0: to do the splits, like after only stretching for one day. That's another thing that we discussed um, in a different podcast. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Like what? i'm Mm -hmm. sorry one last thing i want to note is that especially last summer so many people had watched um bohemian rhapsody the movie about queen and so many people would just be singing along with it and everyone you know unleashes their inner freddie mercury and then all of a sudden they're just like so you know admire your heroes but recognize what why they're your heroes and what you know what level they're on you know
0: i wonder if down the line you're gonna notice like trends like right now like breathy like doja cat is like so in Eilish. yeah billy laugh. Mm-hmm. um it'll be interesting to see as things like at first it was like let's all belt like adina and now we're kind of in this like this bathing thing i have a kind of well i'm mm. also curious about
1: like the ariana grandes of the world like people who are pushing themselves to sing higher than their ct can stretch right yeah now. Mm-hmm. i want to sing like ariana we want to sing yeah. this
4: well i actually had a question for the three of you because i know that You know, not only do people want to sing in such a range of styles these days, but a lot of places like TikToks, like there's always some kind of like voice professional being like, this is how you sound like blah, 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 and three easy steps. And like, obviously, we know after having studied, it's never just three easy steps, but like, do you endorse and or like, from like, if you've seen TikToks of that nature, like, are those safe, reliable ways of kind of getting information, like, to kind of break down that stigma of education? Like, where would you consider getting, like, reliable sources for vocal longevity?
2: I feel like most of the time, the things that those people are saying are not wrong. They're just not the only parts, you know? Like, they'll say, oh, Three simple steps. I mean, there are more steps. These are just three of them. Mm. (laughs) You know, I like to say it's not
0: wrong. It's not inherently evil. Yeah, I feel like they're dancing around the almost like dancing around it because they'll be like, "This is how you do it," versus throwing spaghetti at the wall. That way might work for you. You know what I mean?
1: Well, my my Mm. take is that they're showing you the garnish rather than the actual steak, like the meat of how you do it. Mm -hmm. um so but i don't know i think it's actually i don't have a problem with that necessarily because my my big takeaway from it is think about it like when people do just impressions of actors we're just doing impressions of singers when they do that they're just teaching you Mm. oh move it farther a little bit farther forward and then like narrow the pharynx and add a little bit of like a higher pitch and boom you're sounding like this person
0: Mm, yeah
2: And also, I think we all need to really acknowledge the fact that they're just looking for clients. They're As we are as well. They're (laughs) trying to make some good content, get a bunch of follows, make that viral video, and get a bunch of students so that they can live.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. They're just trying to eat like us.
2: Capitalism. Are we here right now? I can respect that.
0: No, (laughs) same. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really curious now. um, You brought up PCPs and my little brain went... What is that? Oh, primary care physician. So as a singer, we like, we all know from the classical world that famous opera singers like, um, like Nadine Sierra and Anna Trebko and Deanna Zamorow, these are people who are super big in the opera world and they have a whole team of like laryngologists and other EMTs and SLPs who are working with them primarily. Would you recommend singers just taking the time to see a speech language pathologist just to see about their speaking technique and how that's affecting their singing or if that's just a super excessive thing that they don't need to do until they have a problem.
4: Hmm, That's that's a a really great question because that's such a great question and like I think it one of my personal adages as a speech pathologist is prevention before intervention. Because ideally, like if we can stop a problem from happening before it happens, that's the best you know outcome for everyone. And I guess you know, on that note, like not just seeing an SLP, but even just an ENT or just someone who can like maybe scope you if you know you're a professional voice user and or want to go down that path of it's like getting a physical every year yeah, from your PCP.
1: your baseline go. Yeah,
4: it's just like okay, here's where my voice is presenting. Oh, I just noticed there's more mucus than I would expect, or you know, oh maybe there is something there that like a mass growing that I wasn't aware of because it hasn't, you know, affected me vocally or in a way that I can perceive. Like, it's always just good to know where your baseline is, as you kind of just said, and just know, you know, is everything kind of working properly or just kind of checking in to check in on those aspects of, you know, vocal hygiene and rehabilitation, just to say like, you know, what's currently new in the field? Like, what is, you know, should I be aware of anything? Or like, are there, new technologies or things I should stay away away from that you can clinically endorse and or not endorse, you know. Our fields are continuously changing and moving because there's so much research coming out. There's, you know, Kate, I know that you've done a lot of work with long COVID and like, you know, there's so, so many different things that we're constantly having to reevaluate and kind of like fold into our like evidence base. So like, you know, the more we know, the better we do, you know, so yeah just having a team if that's within your means like that can never really hurt
0: yeah that's real
1: it's like how everybody should try therapy at some point in their life All singers at
0: some mm, yes yeah, yeah i love that mm-hmm. so i have one last question for you jude um what are your thoughts on the stigma of ccm styles like being bad for you like you hear a lot of you hear a lot of voice teachers you hear a lot of people on the internet you hear uh some classical singers or teachers.
3: Elton's gonna ruin your voice. You're the
0: really... worst thing that's ever you. Oh, you're just, and people would literally fight. Um, there's an institute that we have at our university where um, they just focus on like the function and like visibility of CCM styles, right? And mm. people used to fight and like yell that we were, ru- that that we, they were ruining people's voices and that, you know, these things are. These things are long-term, like very bad for you. Um, I had a, I had a SLP friend once say to me that Ariana Grande was going to lose her voice in 10 years, um, and I'm just curious about. Yeah, she's 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 doing great working as Glinda. So I'm just curious, like, what your take is on this?
4: Yeah, that's a such a great way to kind of culminate everything we talked about because I think this answer will kind of touch on everything in like summation. Because I think that there may be some truth in that statement. But i want to push back against that stigma by diving into the deeper issue of informed vocal use or the lack thereof because like i'm you know it's not necessarily like formal education because i don't think these concepts for like safe and informed vocal hygiene need to be found behind an academic paywall or you know like in some institution but there, i be- believe that people are not exploring nor using their vocal instruments as safely as they can or just not acknowledging their boundaries because they don't really know where those boundaries are or what they should be paying attention to so i think like the foundations of ccm from a slp side of things and even as a performer should be like understanding how your voice naturally presents because you know as we kind of mentioned it is really is the byproduct of you know our genetics our identity our development just the way that we've inherently come to use and develop um and express ourselves um but at the same time it's good to set goals of being like i want to sound like xyz artist or i want to learn how to do runs safely i want to learn how to hold a high note on a specific vowel sound and then like carefully either with a team or by yourself if you can do it consciously is like carefully tailor a regimen that allows you to either uh, work towards that specific style or sound or just safely and explore the boundaries of your voice to understand what you're capable of and then see what you're stimulated to change for because some, you know, vocal presentations might be more predisposed to certain sounds. So if you really want to sound like a certain artist that you're just not inherently at baseline for, you could probably do it, but it takes a lot of time to unlearn all the things that you're already doing, and then like you know slowly just pivot from there. So you know giving yourself the the time and effort, and I think you know part of the reason why there's a stigma is that when we look at like the school setting, the academic setting, it's kind of like you know cranking the people out in like two year programs for grad school, four year programs for undergrad, and it's just like is that enough time to really look at the vocal like uh, voice throughout the age span? And I think it's recognizing that artists are always honing their crafts like just because we go to school and we have a degree doesn't necessarily mean we're already like at the top of our field it just means that we've done something that warranted yeah so you know i i think i i don't agree with that stigma because i think that that's neglecting the time and effort that really comes into doing it safely and as long as people are doing that safely you know they're going to sound the way they want to And it's better to help them on their journey than instead of inhibiting them, you know? Yeah, and also,
0: like, most of the degrees in this country that are surrounding music are mostly classically based, so. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, ideally, with you all doing the work that you're doing, CCM will become more like destigmatized but also just more accepted in terms of like yes there are you know we can put the academic evidence behind it like people can do this safely we can see how long their careers go and i think you know it's just hard that we're in that that initial wave that we have to kind of lay that groundwork for the future generations but you know we are the we are the groundwork yeah we're the trendsetters but if we keep doing what we're doing you know the world's gonna be better for it
0: all
1: i can think of right now is all of the feminists in the 20s who are like we can work too and i don't have to work a nine-to-five job and i'm mad
0: about <laughs> it like i don't know that i want to do the groundwork i don't now. think they do no. <laughs> oh gosh so okay. that's us that's us like but go us yeah
1: wow folks for women uh, Anyways, okay um so let's wrap it up here do you want to do the outro? or do you want me to you can do it okay well um All right, guys, thank you so much for listening in. Thank you so much to Jude for joining us today. We really, really appreciate all of his wonderful wisdom
3: wisdom and expertise. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode and putting up with the audio. We're doing our best to figure everything out, so your listening is very appreciated. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at notyourmothersvoiceteacher.com and go give Jude a follow at heyjudetorres. That's Jude, J-U-D-E, Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. Thanks so much and we'll see you next week.